0: Welcome to services from Winfield Free Will Baptist Church, located in Winfield, Alabama, where we believe the fullness of God is real in our lives. We appreciate you listening and pray you'll continue to do so, and that God will richly bless you and touch your life through His Word. Now, let's join Pastor Kent Nelson as he brings God's Word.
1: I hope you have your copy of God's Word. I turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. There are some things in life that I, I, I just I just think are absolutes. Right? I, you know, there, there are some things in life that I just want to say, and it just kind of comes from my day back in the 80s and 90s when we would just go, duh, right? Uh, how many of you understand that expression? Well, duh. The reason I say that is, is there are some things in this country that I think are absolute, I think that we should always honor our vets, right? That's just a duh, of course we should, and I'm so thankful that we got a chance to do that here this morning, to honor those men and women that make that sacrifice with their lives, and the fact is, I believe that everyone in our country should have a gratitude for our vets, and we Express that in different kind of ways, don't we? How many of you had a picnic, or how many of you went to a ceremony like they had in Winfield and Ewan in our communities to acknowledge our vets and the sacrifices and the freedoms that they, they they assure for us. But here's what I want to make sure we do. Now, please hear me. I want to make sure that in the midst of all of that, that we take time just to stop and think. Just to stop and think. Stop and think about the kind of courage and bravery that it would take for a man or a woman to enter into the battlefield or to man his or her post. Stop and think about it. They say that, that courage isn't the absence of fear. They say That courage is that going forward even though there is the presence of fear. Many a soldier, whether a man or a woman, has had to swallow hard, lock their jaw, and climb out of a foxhole to face the enemy. But I want to say this morning, though, that I've got a different battle scene in my mind, if you will. It's a battle scene this morning, and it doesn't take a lot of imagination to to think about it because it's actually found in the Scriptures. It's a battle scene where soldiers that are called and trained to fight are not on the battlefield, but in this battle scene, they are in their tents. They are in their tents cowering in fear. It's a battle scene where Men have kissed their wives and they have hugged their kids telling them that daddy was going to the battle to the front to fight for his country and for God but instead those very same men have wilted into shame and guilt for not stepping onto the battlefield to face the enemy. It is a battle scene where generals are huddled around the table thinking strategy but at the end of the day There are no soldiers willing to fight. It's a battle scene. It's played out in 1 Samuel chapter 17 where young David arrives upon the scene as a shepherd boy, a shepherd boy with a hand of God upon his life, And he looks at what's going on. He sees God's men, and he sees the soldiers of Israel huddled and afraid of the enemy. And do you remember that proclamation, that question that David asked? He says, is there not a cause? Think about it. Is there not a cause? David looks around him, and he sees the men hiding in their tents. David listens carefully and he hears the taunting of the armies of the Philistines, in particular the giant in the valley. He sees the disarray and the confusion and he proclaims, listen, we must fight this battle because our God is great.
2: Is there not a cause? He entered into that valley with a
1: sling and a stone. And this is what he proclaimed. Now remember. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Then he loaded up that stone unto the sling, and he spun the sling and killed the stone, or killed the giant before him. Now listen to me, church. Please don't miss what I'm trying to say. The story of David and Goliath is for us. It's not just for children in children's church. It's for us right now because the story of David and Goliath is a story of a Christian's victory over sin. You have the victory over sin if you'll fight. The story of David and Goliath is the story of the church's triumph over the world. The story of David and Goliath It's a story of onward Christian soldiers marching into war with the cross of Jesus going on before. But here's what I want to ask this morning, and please don't be offended by this, because I might offend you. I ask a very solemn question, a series of questions. With that in mind, ask yourself the question, am I truly a soldier? of the cross. Ask yourself, am I going into battle every day in a fight against sin and the devil? Or are we in our tents, scared, disengaged? Maybe we're in our tents and we're satisfied and content, not worrying ourselves with being in the battle. I'm afraid so many Christians are just coasting on their way to heaven. Well, well, this morning, if you are in the battle, if you are engaged with the enemy of the Lord and giving your best in the fight for your family and for your church and the kingdom of God, I say to you, well done, good job, soldier. You have my respect. Keep fighting. The victory is ours. Keep fighting. But I dare to say that many are at ease. At ease in the palace. And there's a term that's entered into our vocabulary in the, in the last 10 to 15 years. And I think ladies might know a little bit more about it than men. It's the term minimalist. And, ladies, do you know what we mean when we say minimalist? There'll be ladies that say, you know what? I just want to downsize. I'm tired of the big house. I just want to have just the basics. I just want to be able to get by with just the basic minimal. That's an expression that has to do, in many ways, with architecture. And decorating but I will say this, and please hear me: there are many Christians that are minimalist. No, they don't live on buying land or homes that are all the smallest and living on the least, but what they are doing is doing their least. Many are Christians and on their way to heaven, but they are giving themselves and of their time and of their resources in the battle. And I'll just say this, and I might offend someone. They are like our text this morning, the person in our text, a believer but at ease in the palace. This morning, what I would like to do for the next few moments, and literally just a few moments, I want us to look at 2 Samuel chapter 11 at a man. By the way, he is the very same man in 1 Samuel chapter 17 that came onto the battlefield and he, he saw that there were those that were trained and armed and capable and yet they weren't fighting. And he went and engaged and got in the battle himself and he said, is there not a cause And I come in the name of the Lord God Almighty of Israel? And yet in 2 Samuel chapter 11 now, he's not in the battle anymore. He's got his feet propped up Idle in the palace, just living it, living the easy life. And so this morning, I just want to challenge this. I want us to dig into his life because I'm fascinated. How could this man who was once a man described as a man after God's own heart, but now he's simply left to a man living for his own desires? How did he get there and how can we avoid doing the same? I want you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word, 2 Samuel chapter 11. need to keep your copy of God's Word open. We're just going to read these first five verses, but we're going to jump around a bit. Notice 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David, now notice this. Look at that in your scripture. When the others were off into battle, at a time where kings were supposed to be on the battlefield fighting for their nation, and in this case, for the honor of their God, David, verse 1, tarried still at Jerusalem. He was at ease in the palace. And it came to pass in the evening time, verse 2, that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. She came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness. And she returned unto her house, and look at verse 5, and the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. I want us to pray. Father, oh God, I want our hearts to be stirred. God, I want my heart to be deeply stirred this morning. God, I don't want to be at ease in the palace. I don't want to be a man that is called to be on the battlefront, and yet, for whatever reasons, I, I'm content to, to prop up my feet and just go about my business in ease and leisure, coasting into heaven. I don't want to be that man, oh God. and I don't think any of us do, but God, we find ourselves there sometimes. Or we find that we have allowed ourselves to become too comfortable, too at ease, It's not about you anymore, even though we carry the name believer or Christian. Lord, on close examination, you aren't the focus of our lives. And so, God, I pray this morning that you will reorient us. God, that you'll move in my heart. God, I want to be a better pastor, a better preacher, a better dad, a better husband, a better brother in Christ. I I want to be that for you. But, oh, God, I cannot depart from your help. And so, God, help me to see my need. Lord, help all of us, Lord, to see our need here this morning. Help us not to be at ease in the palace. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. I find in this text a, a very troubling image. I find in this text a picture of a man who was once engaged but now is disengaged. A man that was on the battlefront but now he's in the recliner. A man that was on fire for God but now he's living in apathy while others are engaged in the battle. And this morning, as I see that, as the longing of my heart is for myself never to reach that, the longing for my heart is for you to never reach that. And so my, my prayer is this morning, three things that we're going to see very simple about this story that I think God can use in our life and move us. Number one, I think we have to understand, listen, there is a battle to be fought. There is a battle for every believer to be engaged in fighting. As a matter of fact, if we look at the context of the story, it helps us understand this a bit more in our own lives. Look back at chapter 10. Chapter 11 is not a chapter that's given to us without context. Chapter 10 tells us about the battle that has already been taken place. It is between God's people and two primary enemies. If you were to take a pencil or a pen in chapter 10, you need to circle the names of these two enemies. The one is named Syria. They are the Syrians. They are people that are constantly plaguing God's people. They hate God's people. They hate God's nation they hate the worship of Yahweh, and they do everything they can to thwart and kill and to stamp out what God is doing and the worship of God and the nation of Israel. And I must say, now hear me, is that not true in our day as well? Whereas it was the Syrians in the day of Israel that looked at God's people and they were disgusted because God's people did not embrace the false pagan worship of the other countries. They were disgusted because God seemed to have his hand upon the Israelites. They were frustrated because God had blessed his people and they looked at God's people and they said, let's destroy, let's beat them down, let's cause them never to worship their God again. And yet while that was true in this day of 2 Samuel chapter 10, is it not true today? Church, open your eyes. Listen, we are living in amongst a world system that would like nothing more than destroy the church of the living God. Make no mistake about it. They are out to destroy the church. Now there is not an open manifesto, even though you see it in certain corners of our society, but not one that is fully embraced, but underlying all of what we see that is rising against the church is an adversary of the devil that is influencing the mind of this world system coming against God and his people. It is a system, listen to me, that only asks for an inch of toleration. Just, just tolerate us to this measure. We want nothing more than your acknowledgement. And we want to say, well, we want to say we belong. And we want to make sure that you accept our certain kind of lifestyle. And we're not going to push it upon you. We just want an inch of toleration. But what we have seen in our generation is when they ask for an inch of toleration, they demand a mile. And we are living in a day and age where there are so many believers that are cowering in their tent, not in the battle, afraid of the battlefield. Why? Because there are those that will come against us when we say right is right and wrong is wrong. And we are individuals that are targeted not because we have hate speech, but it is love speech because we speak the truth in love. We understand what is best for man in the sight of a righteous and a holy God. And we are not afraid to stand upon what is right and say, Thus saith the Lord. But because of that, they want to destroy us. It's a system that asks for an inch of toleration but takes a mile. It's a system that demands that the church sit down and shut up. It's okay if you exist, but we want you to stay within the four walls of your church and we want your opinion to stay within the four walls of your church. We don't want to hear what you say about morals and righteousness because that's for you. It's not for us. It's a day of relativity. Your truth is not my truth. Your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. Don't push your opinions upon me. That's the world that we live in. And so what they're saying to us is sit down and shut up. You don't have a voice in this world. It's a system that is asking for an inch, but takes a mile. It's a system that demands the church to sit down and shut up. Now, listen, it's a system that is seeking to indoctrinate our children with what? Humanistic thoughts and godless values. They're pretty wise in that they realize that, that us, and I'm going to say us. I'm, I'm 50. Some of you say, well, you're still young. I don't feel young. I don't look young. I don't smell young. Amen? But you think I am, but I'm 50, I'm I'm sitting my ways. And, And you are too. Some of you are 60 and 70 and 80 and 140. We'll just keep going, right? But what they do know is this, if they can infiltrate into our homes and into our schools and they get the minds of our children, then we will soon be off the scene. And our ideas that they say are archaic and repressive and are picketed well they'll die along with us so we're just going to tell them to sit down and shut up in generation but we're going after their kids church listen to me there are enemies that want to destroy the church and they will do it by destroying the institution they will do it by destroying the family while it's not Syria as it is in the text here a common enemy. Well, it's an enemy nonetheless. But as you circle the name Syria in your text, I ask you to circle another name, Amon or the Ammonites. Very interesting enemy here. If you will study the, the, the chapter preceding chapter 11, chapter 10, you study at the very beginning of the chapter, you'll find something completely interesting and compelling that these people of Amon, they were friends with David at one time. A king was ruling over them, and there was a mutual respect relationship between David and that king. The nations were in harmony. They were living with a sense of togetherness. But when that king passed away, David reached out to his son, and his son rebuked it. So now, now watch me, those who were once friends... Those that were once on the side of Israel now are fighting against Israel. If you look at our land today, is that not true? We have our enemies that we've had for a very long time. Those that despise the truth. Those that do not believe what we say is true and want us to sit down and shut up. But we have a new enemy today. Our new enemy today is one that we know very well. They're very familiar with us. Our new enemy today are those that used to stand where we're standing today on truth and integrity. They used to 20 years ago, 25 years ago, identify right as right and wrong as wrong. They would be preaching from pulpits like ours today the truth that I'm preaching right now. But somewhere along the way, they have shifted. Liberalism. Humanistic thinking. Wokeism, let's call it what it is today, has infiltrated the churches. And now we just don't have the old regular old enemies. We now have those that used to be standing for truth like us that are on their side now, and they're pointing at us, saying, what's wrong with you? You're narrow-minded. Update your views. It's the 21st century. Church, have I made the point? Do I have to go any further? Don't you understand that there is a battle to be fought? And if we don't realize that, we've already lost a the battle. There's a battle and it is raging. But notice this. While there is a battle to be fought and we fight a familiar enemy like the Syrians and the Ammonites, secondly, we fight depending upon each other. Each other. Is that just a fantasy of mine? No. I would say to you that over a hundred times in the New Testament, the scripture says, be there for one another. You know one of the greatest tactics that the adversary uses to keep us from fighting him, the enemy, from keeping our eyes upon the real battle, upon the real fight, he turns our eyes upon each I find it very interesting. Look at your text. Look at Second Samuel chapter ten. Look at verse eleven. Joab is a general. Joab is a very wise man, and he's speaking to those that he is leading. And look at verse. Look at verse. Uh, verse. Verse eleven. And he said, "Now listen. If the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon," Be too strong for thee, then I will come and help
2: thee. Look at that verse.
1: It's what the church should be. The church is simply this a group of people that are fighting a battle against the enemies of God and the church. And simply, what we understand is this. While we are fighting, there might be those that are are being wounded, that they are being discouraged, that they have been beat down by culture. Some are saying some things about them that are threatening their own heart and soul, and they are bewildered, and they are like James chapter 5, those that are afflicted in mind. And so what does this passage remind us? Joab says to his brother in the battle, Listen, if you look and have your eyes open, you're going to see that there might come a time in the battle My brother, when the enemy is advancing and we're losing the battle, and here's what I need you to do. When you have that awareness and you see it, don't back down, don't run away. Come to our help. And by the way, he said to his brother, I'll keep my eyes open as well and I'll watch the battle. And if you're struggling and you're losing, rest assured, my brother, I'll be there for you. And all my stars, I looked at this and I read this, Brother Jim, this week. I read where the text says that they were surrounded, that the enemy was in front of them and the enemy was behind them. The text is giving the context that they are surrounded by their enemies, but they were all right in their fighting of the battle. Why? Because they had each other's back. You and I must be living in such community within a church body in connectedness with other believers so that when the battle is raging in your life and things are hard and you're desperate, you've got brothers and sisters that are rushing onto the scene to lift you up and assist you. And you must be living with such an awareness in your own life that when you see a brother or sister that is stumbling, that is having a hard time, that you aren't living on an island to yourself, you say, no, I must enter into the battle and you run. To help them, are you doing that? I was doing some study over military strategy and over military life, and I came across a very interesting statistic about the Persian Gulf War. Some of our vets that are here today had personal experience in that war. Amazing statistic came uh, at the at the hills at the end of that battle. Did you know that when we looked at our casualties of war that we put a percentage number on those who were killed directly by the enemy and we had a certain number, but we realized that number is not the full representation of deaths in this battle and they began to crunch the numbers and here's what they found. Now listen to me. Over 67% of our casualties, of the coalition forces, the good guys, over 67% of the deaths during the Persian Gulf, Persian Gulf War were because of friendly fire. It wasn't because there was someone that was sitting on top of a button saying, there goes my fellow soldier, boom, I'll get him. They weren't standing with a trigger and a finger heavy upon that trigger ready to take them down. It was accidental. But I do find there to be a paradox. I'm afraid, church, that sometimes we fight each other more than we fight the enemy. I think there would be a whole lot less troubles in churches throughout America. And I'm not specifically talking about our church necessarily, but churches throughout America if they get their eyes up off their petty squabbles and get their eyes upon the real enemy. We get to be busy for the work of the Lord. We've got to depend upon each other. There's a passage that I proclaim that I say over and over again. I'll say it right now, and please hear me. If you haven't heard it before, hear it now. The Scripture says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the tradition of some, but now even so the more as the days are approaching. In other words, I think if the writer of Hebrews could bring that passage to us right here, right now, he would say simply this. He would say, listen, the Lord's coming back, and we know in our eschatology that things get worse before they get better. And so if we understand that and things are getting worse, we should flock to togetherness. We should flock to the assembly. We should flock to the gathering of God's people. Why? We are fellow soldiers, and there we can commune with each other. We can encourage one another. We can lift up each other. We can find out what's going on in their lives. Listen, if you are straggling, if you're not connected to the body of Christ, the body of believers like this one and others that are in this community, you are living the life of a lone ranger. You might be out there, and you might be trying to do what is right, but you are easy prey. It's very compelling whenever God is telling Moses how to deal with the Amalekites as they are leaving the desert and entering into the promised land. He says, listen, I want you to remember what the Amalekites did and what did the Amalekites do. The Amalekites are a picture of what Satan does to God's people. The children of Israel are traveling they are heading to the Mount Sinai region and there are those that are sick, that are straggling, that cannot keep up and they are not a part of the flow of the group of people that are traveling together. And here's what Amalek did. He targeted those that were separated from the group because he knew they were an easy target. Why does your preacher, why do preachers like me come into a place like this with so much passion and fervency and say, listen, listen, you need to be at church. You need to connect to God's people. You need to be a part of what's going on here. Why? Because we know that those that are not are easy targets for the adversary. Listen, we need each other. Have your heads up. Have your eyes on the battlefield. Be like Joab and his men. Be like Joab's brother and his men, knowing that we are engaged in a battle and we're looking for those that might be struggling those that might be facing a more fierce attack of the enemy, and we come to their assistance. We fight a familiar enemy. There is a battle. And we fight depending on each other. And then thirdly, we fight for claiming God's goodness. Amen.
2: I was reading a book called Ghost Soldiers.
1: It's a book that's written by an author that I really like. His name is John Kreigeiger. If you've ever written or read John Kreigeiger, he also has a book called Into Thin Air about those that died trying to climb Mount Everest. Fascinating book. In his book, Ghost Soldiers, he tells the story of the allied forces that were in the battle, and they kept fighting, and they kept fighting, and they kept fighting, even though they knew they would probably die. And one of the questions that arises in that book, now listen to me, those of you that are vets or have been in combat, you probably understand this much more than any of us others do. He said there has to be a cause. There has to be something that causes that soldier that even though there is fear, And even though there is anxiety while he's in the foxhole and the mortar rounds are going all around him, he hears the buzzing of the enemy's bullets, and yet he takes a deep breath, he locks his jaw, he takes his rifle, and he climbs out of the foxhole onto the battlefield. What motivates him? There has to be a cause. I found it compelling that in 2 Samuel chapter 10, not only did God's word through the Holy Spirit give us the idea that there is a common enemy, that we are fighting together, but we have the attitude of our hearts. Look at verse 11. What motivates us? 2 Samuel chapter 10. What pulls us into the battle when it seems that all is lost? When the battle might cost us our career? When the battle might cost us financially? When the battle might cost us popularity? What causes us to get out of the foxhole and onto the battlefield, verse
2: 12. After
1: Joab said, I'll got you back, brother, he says, be of good courage. Let us play the men for our people. Let us be the soldier for the people. And for the cities of our, what's the word, church? And the Lord do that which seemeth
2: good to him. Did you catch that? Men,
1: we're about to separate into battle, and we've got each other's back. But understand this. As you are going to the front lines of the battle, understand we're doing it for the people. We're doing it not for ourselves. We're doing it for others. We're doing it for our wives and kids who are back home. We're doing it for our grandkids, and we're doing it for the next generation. We are going into the battle not just with ourselves in mind, but we have something greater in mind. And understand this, we are doing it for our God, who is the God of our cities. He is the God of our nation. There is a purpose behind our existence, and even though we might lose our lives today, we are fighting For a purpose. And notice the very last phrase of verse 12. And so be it in the battle. (laughs) The battle is raging, men, and there are gonna be some that lose their lives. Men, some of our wives today will get word that you are no longer alive. There will be some kids today that will find out that their dad is no longer gonna be coming home and eating supper. Understand, men, some will lose their lives today, and men, how do we process that? Here is the way to process it. Understand, our God is sovereign. He is a good God, and let's let him be God. You know, I love that, because here's what I will tell you, and I dare not tell you it is an easy life to become a Christian. It is not an easy life to become a Christian and live dedicated to the Lord. I will not dare tell you and give you some rose, flower-filled filling of what the Christian life is. No, it is a life of abundance in Christ. It is a life of joy, but it is a hard life. It is a difficult life. Jesus said this, if they persecuted me, how much more will they persecute you? Of course they will. Jesus didn't call us to walk on an easy road. He told us to take up our cross and daily follow after him. And the call of the hour is not to search for a life at ease in the palace like we will see next week in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It's not the call of our life to follow easy road and a path with no bumps. It is the call of our life to live for our commander-in-chief and enter into the battle no matter what happens and no matter what the cost. Why? Our God is good. Our God has a plan. And even though it might cost us dearly in the battle, He is the rewarder of those that serve Him faithfully. Can I tell you a story? And we're going to have to wrap this up. This week, I was speaking to A dear friend in Christ, and I'll be frank with you. He's going through a battle. You don't necessarily know him, so don't try to connect any dots to the story. I was talking to him. He said, "Can't I know?" what it's going to take. This problem that he's facing, he said, in many ways, I know it may destroy a lot of what is my life. But he said, Kent, it's the right thing. And then he said this, and I hope God places this upon my heart for all of eternity. He said this, But if God is calling me, I will do it if it kills me. There's a contrast in our text. There are those that are willing to prop their feet up and live in the past. And there are consequences to that. And we'll see those next week. But oh, there are those who hear the fresh voice and movement of God in their life. And they begin to realize that life is not about the easy road. That there's no real satisfaction in just the pursuit of money and popularity and career. That the real joy in life is saying, you know what? that seed that brings forth will be the seed that that dies. It must first go into the ground and die. And then that's when life truly begins. You see, the soldier that goes onto the battlefield accepts one thing. I am fighting for a cause and it might cost me my life. But that's okay because there's a greater cause. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I'll be 110% honest with you. I did not intend to spend near as much time on what we just talked about. My intent was to make it all the way through the text. But I'm going to tell you what God's Holy Spirit did in this moment. He put a stop, and he said, I'm changing plans right now because God's people need to be reminded that there's a battle. There's a choice to live in a palace or to enter the battlefield. And I am believing that there's some of you that are sensing that. And maybe you're the person that once was on the battlefront that your life was about, yes, I have my focus upon God. and Yes, I I do my, my daily routine. I do the things. I go to work. I provide for my family. I do these things. I do that. And yet, at the end of the day, my primary focus, however, is God. I'm engaged in the battle so that when I'm at work, it's for his glory. When I'm with my family, it's for his glory, for their health, for their spiritual maturity. And men, you at one time had that calling upon your life and that focus, but now it is no longer there. And there's a voice calling out to you today. You need to be back there. To take your feet that are propped up in ease in the palace, put on your armor, get back into the battle. Some of you that perhaps have never fully entered into it. And like Jack London said, there's a, a call to the wild. There's a call to your life right now. And you're saying, Oh my goodness, there's more out there. Yes, I hear, I hear it. It's inside of me. And, and by the way, that what is inside of you is the voice of the Holy Spirit of God calling you to die, to die to yourself. Some of you are scared to death to do that. Sure, you ought to be. Not in a fear that your life is going to turn into a tragedy, but the understanding that you don't know what God is going to do. But here's what Joab said to his men in verse 12. Enter into the battle we've got each other and our God is good and we're going to fight for his glory. That's a calling. Soldiers can't live with the fear of what's going to happen at the next moment. They live with their eyes upon the cause and knowing that there's someone that's got their We've got each other's backing. God ultimately had us in his hands, has us in his hands. So say no to fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and mind. And I would say to you today, now please hear me, there are some that just don't want to enter. They, don't, they want others to fight the battles. Can I tell you this morning, and we'll see it more clearly next week, It is safer on the battlefield serving your commander-in-chief. God Almighty with his hand upon you than it is with your feet propped up in the palace living for yourself. I say to you, if that's you today and you just say, I refuse, let me warn you, there are consequences for that. You are absent without God need all the battle
0: You've been listening to services from Winfield Free Will Baptist Church. We're located at 1960 U.S. Highway 43 in Winfield, Alabama. We'd love to have you join us live in person if you're available. Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. each Sunday with worship services at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. and Bible study every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. If you'd like to support the ministry of Winfield Free Will Baptist Church or you'd just love to send us your questions, comments, or prayer requests, feel free to mail us your love offering or correspondence to P.O. Box 866, Winfield, Alabama 355 You can also give by texting 256-344-3648. Follow us online. Just search for Winfield Free Will Baptist Church on Facebook, where we live stream all of our services. Again, thank you for joining us.